go ahead and pray as we begin our study tonight. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening, and thank you for the grace that abounds towards us that we can walk in, that we can glorify you in, and that we can experience your presence in our lives. We thank you that we can come tonight to study the uh, intricacies of your word, to grow by it, that we might be stronger, that we might know you better, that we might walk closer to you in our relationship with you. We pray you would open our minds and our hearts by your Holy Spirit, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So our overall study is the glories of heaven, and we've kind of uh, taken a little bit of a side uh, trail here as to what happens to us Christians when we die. So when we talk about what happens when we die, there are several things that we need to mention. First of all, when we die, there is death. Okay, I hope you can figure that one out. It's just kind of obvious. Uh, but more importantly, as we move on, when a Christian dies, the Christian goes to be with the Lord. And then we also talked about some myths concerning death. So there's no purgatory, there's no soul sleep. And the last time we met, we talked about some of the new age views. So I'm going to go through these really fast. First of all, when you uh, have a spiritualistic approach to death or a new age approach to death. And, and uh, by the way, the new age movement isn't like a very nailed down, solid kind of movement. The new age movement really is just kind of a smorgasbord of a, a whole bunch of different views. And usually they have their uh, roots in Eastern mysticism and Eastern religions and that kind of a thing. It's kind of a non-Western thing. But the New Age movement is kind of taking those non-Western things and westernized them. And so you have the New Age movement. And it's basically a spiritualistic kind of thing that doesn't really involve God. So that's the New Age movement. There are a lot of views. You can find all kinds of things. And um, one of the things that we talked about was uh, in the New Age movement or the spiritualistic approach, there is this idea of the contact, the dead contacting the living, the dead contacting the living. So here are some ideas, and many of these we talked about last time have kind of made their way into our thinking even though we're Christians. So the dead contact the living through significant sounds, words, or music. The dead can contact the living through some significant circumstance that happens. It reminds you of the one who has passed. The dead can contact the living through coincidences that take place in our lives. Now, by the way, these are New Age things. I'm not talking about a Christian perspective or understanding of these. Um, new, the, the dead contact the living when the living have some kind of sense or awareness of the presence of the one who has passed. Sometimes there are visitations in dreams. Sometimes there are visitations through visions. Sometimes there are... Uh, there is contact through sense, sense, you know, the sense of, sense of, sense of smell, and uh, sense and smells. There is, uh, uh, sometimes there is this sense of peace that comes over you, peace or some kind of refreshed experience or relaxed experience that has to do with the one who has departed. And Sometimes, and this is for real, uh, like I said I, last time, I drew all of these from New Age websites. So here's one that 
Uh, I have to laugh at this, but if your electronics begin to malfunction, it could be the electrostatic energy of the, the dead one that has passed. So anyway, just to make a note of that. Um, the dead can express their presence using butterflies, dragonflies, and birds. So that was kind of a big one. And we talked about cardinals and the significance of a cardinal or the significance of a cardinal feather. But it's not limited to cardinals. It is uh, uh, kind of opened up to the birds. Uh, this is interesting. I just thought about this. But often in the Bible, birds are associated with demons. Did you know that? You can do a study on that. So anyway, the New Age movement has uh, a lot of these birds, bird things. But not just birds, butterflies and dragonflies as well. Rainbows, meaningful numbers... And then sometimes when you just kind of out of the side of your, you know, you just out of your peripheral vision, maybe you get a glimpse of somebody and they, it's like, hey, what, that, there they are. And you, you know, you turn and of course it's somebody else. But anyway, that, that would be a sign to you from them beyond the grave that they're, you know, aware, they're present and you can be comforted by that. So that's how the dead contact the living. But also in the New Age movement and spiritualistic um, things, you have the living contacting the dead. And so this is where the idea of seances come into play. You have uh, any kind of fortune-telling is often associated with the attempt of contacting the dead in order to gain some information that you might not have available to you. So seances... Uh, tea leaves, bones, entrails, and a whole lot of other things. As a matter of fact, almost everything in this earth is used in some way to, uh, as a means of prognosticating the future. So these are all kind of spiritualistic ideas and practices, new age practices, and we have to be careful about that. Now, the question that I want to begin with tonight is, can there be any reality to all of those practices that the new age movement engages themselves in. Can there be any substance to it? Is it all just kind of like hogwash or is there any substance to it at all? Now, in order to begin our understanding of this, what I want to do is look at Scripture and try to find or identify any places in Scripture where somebody who has died appears again you know, to somebody who is living. Does that happen in the Bible? So, uh, as, as you know, when I sent out my email, we were talking about the Witch of Endor. So we're going to look at the Witch of Endor because that is a unique, isolated passage of Scripture. So we'll take a look at that. But before we get to that, are there any other places in Scripture where the dead contact the living? Can anybody think of anything? Moses and Elijah, the transfiguration. So let's look at Matthew chapter 17. Matthew, and, and by the way, the, the next point here, after New Age views, is what we're starting with tonight. After death, after death appearances of people in the Bible. So, uh, like you said, one of the places that we want to turn to is Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. And it says here, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. 
So this is a, a real passage. It occurs in the Gospels. And there is no reason to doubt that Moses, the spirits of Moses and Elijah, in fact appeared with Jesus on the mount there. And so we have in this passage a legitimate appearance of those who have dead or have been, you know, who have been dead, the spirits of them appearing and visible to humans, namely Peter, James, and John. And uh, Peter was so moved, he said, hey, can I make you guys some tents or some kind of shelter? And, you know, he didn't know what to say, I guess. And I don't know if I would know what to say if I saw Jesus in, in a, some kind of bright, brightness there and glory and Moses and Elijah appearing with him. So you have that uh, instance. Any, other, any others that you can think of in Scripture? All right, Jesus himself, that's right. So Jesus appears, and after his resurrection, he appears, and he's how long on the earth? Yeah, about, huh? 40 days, 40 days. And what did he do when he appeared for 40 days? He what? He appeared to the apostles, that's right. What did he do? What were some of the things that he engaged himself in? He ate food, right? Is that what you said? Or he made them breakfast, is that what you said? <laughs> Fish, some fish and uh, bagels and cream cheese, right? There on the on the Sea of Galilee, <laughs> bagels and locks. <laughs> All right, sorry. <laughs> what else did he do? That's right. He went through walls, so there was uh, something uh, unsubstantial about him, maybe. Okay, or at least you know was able to. They could feel him, so there's something substantial about him, right? So uh, that's Jesus appearing. Now, Jesus appearing after his death is a little bit different than what we're really interested in. And the reason for that is because when Jesus came back from the dead, or when he appeared after his death, he did not appear as a ghost or a spirit, right? How, in, what, in what way did he appear or manifest himself? That's right. Yeah. That's right. So he appears to Thomas and the other disciples, and to Thomas specifically, because he hadn't been there the first time. Thomas, you know, doubting Thomas, he's often called. Jesus says, you know, put your, put your finger in my hands and put your, fing- your hand in my side and see that it is really me. But, but uh, he's not appearing as a ghost or, a, or a, a spirit that is unbound to a body. How is he appearing? What is unique about Jesus' appearance? It's what? That's right. As a, as a person, what happened to Jesus? He came back to life. He is resurrected. This is the resurrected Jesus. So he is, he is uh, present in physic, physical form. He is physically present with him, even though his resurrection body is unique and different from our bodies. He was, this is the resurrected Jesus. So it's, it's not just a spirit appearing uh, before mankind. All right. But nevertheless, you know, we think of Jesus and yes, you know, I have Jesus here in my notes. And so, yes, that, that's something that our minds turn to is somebody coming back from the dead. And then we have Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah. Beverly? Yeah. Like uh, when? The little girl, the widow's son. Lazarus, yes. Now, they don't count 
because they are brought back to life in their bodies and they, what happens to them again, eventually? They died again. So we're, so we're talking about these people are, are given life again. So they're not the, the ghost kind of appearances that we're trying to find. But those are all very important you know, accounts and understandings of the power of God displayed among mankind. All right, I could not think of any other occurrences in the Bible. Maybe there are, but uh, that's the witch of Endor. That's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, all right, good. That, that's the one we're going to turn to as soon as we've exhausted our thinking as to if there are any others. Alan, can you think of any others? Philip, I don't know. Yeah, we're going to talk, we'll go, we're going to get to that in a minute. But uh, are there any go- other ghosts that appear in Scripture? <laughs> I'm using the word ghosts because that's kind of the association that is made. A ghost, in uh, secular terms, a ghost is the spirit of a departed person. That's what a ghost is. Wasn't that cool? I've tried that a couple times, and I got some bruises on my head to, you know, from the effort. But yeah, one day, one day, though, we'll be able to do that. All right, well, with that, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel chapter 28. <clears throat> and in 1 Samuel 28, there is this unique and puzzling account that we're going to read here where Saul, the king, visits the witch of Endor in order to bring Samuel up from the dead. So we're going to read this passage, verses 3 through 20, and maybe someone, let's, let's go ahead and we'll de- divide that into two passages. So let's go 3 to 12. Would somebody, want, somebody read verses 3 through 12 for us? This is 1 Samuel 28, 3 through 12. Anyone want to, anyone want to read? Kevin, go ahead, please. Thank you. All right, thank you, Kevin. And somebody read 13 through 20? 13 through 20? Robert? 
All right, thank you. Now, this is a very difficult passage to understand as far as how it fits in or what is actually going on here. And I, I don't pretend to understand it uh, beyond the face value here. But before we talk about this, we have to uh, refer to some passages in Scripture. And these passages in Scripture forbid the, this kind of practice from happening. It forbids the engaging in some kind of seance or the uh, going to a medium or a spiritist in order to tell the future or to contact the dead. It is forbidden. So let's look at a couple of passages. We have Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 and 11. It says, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spirits, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up, up the dead. So there are a number of words that are used in this passage, and these are not the only words that are used in the Old Testament. There are quite, there's quite a list which reveals to us that this kind of practice, the engaging of spiritists and wizards and witchcraft and all of that, was a very common practice, and of course it's going to be tied to pagan, uh, pagan practices and pagan religions, as you can see right at the beginning where it says, um, there shouldn't be anyone found among you who makes his son and daughter pass through the fire. So this was associated with one of the false gods and one of the pagan practices that was practiced by the people of Canaan in that day. And so God forbids the people of Israel from engaging in that kind of a thing. Yeah, Beverly. Pass what? Pastor fire. Just, it's uh, uh, just the, the offering of a person in the fire. It's like you, they offer, like they would take their son and they would offer it as a sacrifice to the God in order to appease the God. So, yeah, they're burned. They killed them. They killed their kid, the kid. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it was a wretched practice in ancient times by some of the god Molech, for example. All right. Another passage here, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31, says, Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. So using those kinds of things or engaging in those kinds of practices actually defiles a person, and we shouldn't be surprised by that, defiles a person before God. So a person who practices or engages this Thing, is unclean before God or cannot have a wholesome or right relationship with him. This is an abomination to God. So that's Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31. Another passage, Leviticus chapter 20, verses 6 through 7. And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, notice the word prostitute there, because you're taking, you have a relationship with God, and you are prostituting yourself by going or engaging in this other practice. That, that's how God is viewing it. This is an unwholesome, adulterous kind of thing. It is not right or fitting for the, the person of God. God says, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Now notice, Leviticus several times encourages people to be holy, 
And notice in this context, the be holy is in contrast to the engaging in, you know, this kind of spiritualistic activity. So just to put that in context there. There are other passages that we could turn to, but I think that we get the idea or the understanding that all kinds of spiritualistic kind of practices are forbidden by God. Uh, Such a person defiles themselves and such a person prostitutes themselves from God. Now, I, 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 have, I say this lovingly because there are some practices that we do today, that are, are engaged in today in our western United States, that are spiritualistically tied. And I would suggest that doing horoscopes would be one of those things, or fortune cookies, if you take it for real, or something like that. Um, would be another one of those things. And there are other kind of harmless activities that maybe that we engage in as a culture that would be spiritualistically, spiritual, spiritually defined. Uh, so we just have to be careful. We, we, we have to draw the line at certain places of what our culture is doing, even if it is for fun, uh, that we have to be careful to draw the line because, you know, lest we be found dabbling in something that we shouldn't be dabbling in. And uh, I, I don't have to say that, you know, the idea of witchcraft and wizards and sorcery and magic and all of that just kind of pervades our, our uh, society right now. So just a, a word of caution there. We have to be careful. Now, going back to, yeah. Fortune telling, yes. Yes, fortune te- any kind of fortune telling. Uh, uh, um, many of the words are linked to telling the future or trying to understand the future. And so, yes, especially fortune-telling, not just talking to the dead. Court? There, well, if you look into the New Age movement, they, they are practicing mediums. The, the websites that I went to were people, men and women, who practice these things for real. And... Now that's the question. That's the question that we have to answer. What is going on here? So um, hold on to that thought and hopefully I can make my way back to it because that's a really important question. Yeah. Oh my! Oh my goodness! This is like huge. There's there's huge money in this thing. I, I mean, you can imagine somebody loses a loved one, and you go to somebody who, hey, you know, you can you can talk to them for me, and you receive the comfort that you're looking for. Um, here in Charles, well, I live in Charlestown, but from the day that we drove into Charlestown, there has always been one of those, uh, you know, fortune-telling stores, always. I mean, it's changed location from time to time, but to this day, I mean, 20 years later, we still have the, you know, the fortune-telling store there. Tarot, the tarot cards, the tarot cards, is that what you said? Well, whatever you said, that's what it reminded me of. The tarot cards are another means of telling the future. Well.
Yeah. 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 And I have my experiences with the spirit world, if you will. But to to answer court and um, will, there there can be some reality to it, and the reality comes from the engagement of spiritual, demonic or unclean spirits that kind of take up um, where, you know, you know, kind of fill in the gap for the, the human en- encounter. And yes, so there can be some kind of reality to it. Um, Paul says when he's talking about whether you should eat meat sacrificed to idols, he says, I, I don't remember if it's 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, I think it's one of those places, I know that's broad, but he says, you're sacrificing to demons. I mean, they're sacrificing to their pagan idols, but Paul says, you're sacrificing to demons. And so there is the engagement or the, the filling in the gap, is like I like to put it. So, so somebody is uh, maybe, let's say you, use, you read the horoscope and you're, you're going at it truly to find the future for yourself. So what happens? Well, there's nothing in the horoscope in and of itself, but a demon will, will come in and um, manipulate the things, possibly, in order to make it come to pass, because if it comes to pass, you have just been diverted from God uh, a little bit further, and that could, you know, it could snowball, or it could just be harmless, or you could just be opening the door to some kind of demonic influence in, in your life. And a lot of people, I dare say, they might be experiencing trouble in their lives because they have opened the door to unclean or demonic spirits one way or the other. They have allowed them to come into their life and now they are grappling them probably unawares of, of um, you know, why. Because in some area in their lives, they have done something. There was uh, in Acts, when the people were turning to Christ, they took all of those books and they burned them in order to declare that they are repenting and rejecting those things and turning to God. And so they took those things that were used in those wicked practices and they burned them in order to be rid of them. All right. Any other thoughts or comments or questions? Now, yeah, go ahead. Yes. Yes, they, they became stumbling blocks to the people of Israel, and we see it from beginning to end. The people of Israel are taken away from the Lord because they are distracted or turned aside to these false pagan uh, ways of worship. Okay? Yeah, you've got to take them out, tear them down, destroy the high places. Absolutely. Okay. Now, going back to the witch of Endor. So here is Saul. He's being attacked by the Philistines. God is not answering his prayer. Surprise, surprise. And Samuel, the prophet who has been, you know, engaging with him is gone. He's dead. So Saul is panicking. 
Uh, Saul did not end his life well. He's panicking. He doesn't know what to do. God is silent. And where does he turn? He turns to this medium. Now, he turns to this medium in order to bring up Samuel from the dead. That is his goal. And he goes in there, and for all intents and purposes, it works. Now, here are some observations about this. So, so again, this would be an answer to Court's uh, comment. I have to say that because of this, even though I don't understand it completely, it seems like it is possible that it is a possibility for this kind of thing to happen where you can actually bring the spirit of someone who has died. So here are some observations that I have about it. First of all, and this is not in any particular order, but when the spirit appears, Saul does not seem able to see it. So that's, that's, again, just kind of file these things away and maybe it'll contribute to your understanding of the passage. So the spirit appears and Saul does not seem to be able to see it. But he is obviously able to communicate with it. So from verses, I mean, whether it's through the, the witch or whether he can do it directly, he is able to communicate, to have a conversation with it. So verses 15 and following. Another observation here is that it really seems to be Samuel. There, there is no hint that it's not Samuel or that it's some kind of Samuel imposter. There's just no hint of that. Uh, as much as I wish there was, it just, just does not seem to be there. Uh, another point is that this conjuring was against his will, Samuel's will. In other words, Samuel wasn't like chomping at the bit to appear to Saul. This was a, uh, a disturbance. For him, he truly seemed to be disturbed at having had been called by this witch. Another thing, uh, Samuel, having risen in this way, seems to be unaware and ignorant of what Saul is going through. Saul has to fill him in on the details. So Samuel does not, like, it's not like Samuel was watching Saul and knows exactly what he was going through. He is unaware. And uh, the information has to be provided for him. Here's, here's one, uh, another very puzzling thing. Samuel prophecy, prophesies what's going to happen. A true legitimate prophecy, and it happens. That, that is just bewildering. And then, of course, and, and here we're not surprised, but part of the prophecy of Samuel against Saul is judgment against him. And it is death because he has done this thing against the Lord. So Saul is judged for this perverted attempt at knowing the future without going to God for it. So those are my um, observations of the passage. Saul should not have done this. He should have repented of his many sins and he should have sought the Lord even when the Lord was silent. And that's uh, kind of a message to us that we need to go to the Lord. God just sometimes seems silent to us, and there could be a number of reasons that's the case. But He is the one that we always turn to. We always go sensitive with our sins and confessing our sins because we're sinners and He's holy. We rest in the blood of Jesus Christ because that is how we even have uh, an entrance into the presence of God. And so we must remember that that is the place that we turn to. Okay, any thoughts? Yeah, Philip. One thing that I've heard before is that it kind of seems like possibly the witch wasn't expecting the real Samuel. Yes. That he was 
Yes. Empowering the whole process here. I, I would agree with that. So what Philip's saying here is that um, the witch is surprised that it actually says, and I think Robert read it, in, that God rose up from, it was God that rose up, you know, and, and uh, the witch seems surprised. And that might be a clue that what's happening here, and, and now I'm just filling in the, the gap here with my understanding, is that maybe the witch wasn't legitimate, could not contact the dead for real, but in this particular case, it happens. Oh my goodness, what is going on here? And there is Samuel because God has sent him there to prophesy against Saul. That's a possibility. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that would be amazing. I just wish it said it a little more clear than, you know, just the way that it uh, goes through. But that is a possibility. She is surprised, and that's a good point to think of. Court. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. There, it, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I, I would probably say that the majority of uh, these kinds of encounters are fake and not real, but then you have this small percentage that is demonically empowered to, to make it um, real enough. So yes, thank you, Court. Yeah, one of the questions that we're going to address are, are the people in heaven watching us today? Are our loved ones who passed on, are they observing our lives today? Are they watching and seeing what happens? We're going to, we're going to tackle that question down the road uh, soon, in the next couple of weeks. Beverly? Yeah, it, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't his great-grandmother that had passed that appeared to him and gave him the message. It was the donkey and the angel. <laughs> you know, God has messengers that he sends to give messages, right? Who are those messengers? Angels, that's right. As a matter of fact, the word angel and messenger is the same in Hebrew and Greek. Uh, so he's got his messengers. He, he doesn't... He doesn't send the saint so-and-so back 
or you know, communicate in, in some way. So we'll talk more about that when we talk about the dead visiting us. Now, just kind of to give a little bit of a preview, you have this parable that Jesus taught about two people who died, and the one finding himself in hell was so distraught that he wanted somebody to come back from the dead to give the message or send that other person over there to give a message to my brothers so they don't come here. And Jesus replied, even if somebody rose from the dead, they would still not believe. And in fact, he's saying that because somebody in fact does rise from the dead to, to give the, the proof of the pudding there. And who was that? Jesus. So, you know, all eyes, we have to turn to Jesus. We don't want... We don't want to go to our great-grandfather and, and hope that he sends us some kind of message of comfort. We have all the comfort that we need. All the comfort in life is found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the one who is present through the power of his Spirit, and we don't need any of this uh, baloney or garbage that the rest of the world who does not have Jesus practices. They have no hope apart from him. Now, I think Kevin had his hand up. Kevin, do you still have your hand up or... Yeah. Well, she came to the realization that it was, she didn't know it was Saul initially. And so as soon as she realizes it's Saul, now she fears for her life because she knew that any God walking, which Saul wasn't, but there was a ban. He had placed a ban anyways on, you know, mediums and so, so forth, but she was practicing in secret. So that might have been the expression of her surprise because now all of a sudden it's like, whoa, this is the king who's here with me. And, he, and this is, Samuel, who's rising from the dead, and I'm doomed, doomed, I tell you, doomed. Beverly? What? What was that? Are you, are you raising your hand for Colin? I knew he rose his, raised his hand. All right, Colin. I tried to avoid Colin on you, but I just I guess I can't. Beverly's on your side there. <laughs> Right. 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 Yeah. That's right. Well, it could have been um, in in a in a better approach to it. So in other words, there is no prophet to bring judgment against Saul for his sin. But he could have talked through the donkey if he wanted to. Or, you know, in, it, the ironic thing is that Saul prophesied initially. It was just, it's amazing. You know, he prophesied, Saul prophesied legitimately from the Lord when he was called. But he has, he has gone so far away. And then David, who su- succeeds him, becomes the prophet and then there are other prophets. There's Nathan, and who else, was, who else was a prophet during David's time? There was Nathan. Anyway, God can raise up a prophet at any moment, and th- this was illegitimate. I mean, if, if Saul was going to um, seek the Lord, God could have raised up a prophet or even just descended upon him. him. But to bring judgment... yeah. 
This is legitimate. Yes, the next day, the very next day, is the judgment falls on Saul. Yes, God is using this. Yeah, and he's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And he can do it. He can do it in so many different ways. And in this particular passage, he does it in a real unique way. That's that's just the brilliance of God. He, he he's uh, he. There is no there is no path. He he can just come up with these these out of the ordinary ways of doing things and speaking to us. It's just amazing. It really is amazing how God is working here in this in this way. Yeah. Good. I like that. Yeah, his depravity and sin and rejection of. Yeah, I, I, I think you know with what Colin said and with what you're saying here, there, there really could be this, uh, uh, just this uh, discussion and this just uh, elucidate this, this whole thing that's happened that, for Saul to go and get this message through a witch, is just. He has fallen to the lowest that he could that he could fall, and then comes death, and and that that would just be that just be really powerful to to just kind of just elaborate on all of that. That that'd be pretty interesting to do. Yeah. All right. So, can God can such people commune with the dead? Well, maybe. If it's demonically empowered, possibly, but it's not true communication, and um, I, I think that there is something to the spiritual world here, and some people have this ability to tap into it. But again, it is demonically empowered, and if you ever engage in something and like, oh, I read that fortune cookie and it came true, oh, you know, there must be something to it, in you know, in a positive way, God is speaking to me. Well, I would just really be cautious to go there, that God is the one who is speaking to you through the fortune cookie, because God doesn't need a fortune cookie to speak to us. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit because of the new life that we have in Jesus Christ, and that is, we, we, have, we are told to come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, the boldly is because in the past, before Jesus, we would be destroyed by coming into the presence of God, because He's holy and we're not. But now, because of the blood of Jesus that has covered our sins, we have access. And so let us go there to his presence um, where we didn't have access before and let us ask of him. We have God's, uh, we have the presence of the Spirit. We have the Word of God. We have all of these things that God has communicated to us. True comfort. We don't need to go in our backyard and look for a cardinal feather. That is not true comfort. The true comfort comes from our relationship to Jesus and His Word and the presence of His Spirit. That is comfort that lasts forever. The cardinal feather is here today and gone tomorrow, and then we need another cardinal feather, maybe a blue jay feather today, uh, if you will. That would uh, give me even more comfort, and it's just uh, never-ending. It is not real. It is uh, fleeting, and that is prohibited by God. And anyone who goes in that direction and tries to seek some kind of communication or comfort or to know the future by those means, 
God is not looking favorable on such people because we have him. He is alive, he is real, and he is our hope for today and for tomorrow. So why do all these people do it? Because they don't believe in God and they need to be comforted in some way and they are just grasping at straws. They are taking their comfort in everything and anything that's around them because they have nowhere else to turn to get true comfort. I mean, they do have a place to turn, but they refuse to do that. It is false comfort. So let us go to Jesus. He is our true comfort. He is our only comfort, the only one that we need. The future is in God's hands, right? He has declared the end from the beginning. He holds it all. He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. Why would we go anywhere else? Amen? All right, so don't dabble with fortune-telling and spirituality and witchcraft or any of that. Stay far away from it. Any final comments or questions, Kevin? All right, good. That's a good passage. Anyone else? All right, let's pray and close. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening, and we thank you that it is all we need is found in you, and we thank you that your blood was shed for our sins, that you have brought us into a relationship with you. You have adopted us as your children, and so we come as, uh, as your children. We come to you, O oh Father, for the comfort, the strength, and the hope that we need in our lives. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, everybody. God bless you. I didn't get the cremation. Next time, maybe. Lord willing.